Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. It was the 5th of July, July 5th. I remember because it was the day after the 4th of July. I received a text. It was early in the morning, I was awake. And... uh, You know when the phone dings a little bit and uh, you know there's a text that has come through. I waited for a while and uh, but after a while I opened the text and I noticed it was from Pastor Randy. I said what does Pastor Randy want me this early in the morning for? I knew he was out of country but I didn't know exactly where he was. I read the text and when I read the text, by then I was wide awake. I, as I read the text, I noticed that he was asking me if I could preach September the 16th. And at the end of the text, he says, uh, Ernie, if you'd like to, call me because it's cheaper if you call me than if I call you. Well, okay. I called Pastor Randy. Uh, I, like I said, I knew he was out of country, but didn't know exactly where he was. I said, Randy, where in the world are you? He said, well, I'm out here on the Isle of Patmos. I said, Randy, I, I know the visions that John the Revelator had out there, but what kind of visions are you having out there? <laughs> Asking me to preach. He says, Ernie, I'd like for you to help me out and preach the September 16th. I said, okay. Randy, I'll, uh, I'll help you out. So, we're happy to be with our church family here this morning. By the way, let me tell you, friends, that in many of the churches that I preach at and have preached at, I notice once in a while individuals with their eyes closed. I don't become offended. I just interpret that, that you're praying for the preacher. <laughs> the only favor I ask is don't make your prayer too long. You know, Ellen White tells us that uh, public prayers ought to be short prayers. So make your prayer short. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Dear God, once again, we lift our voices to you. We would ask, O oh God, that you would be in a very special way present through your Holy Spirit with us this morning and this afternoon. We ask, O oh God, that our hearts might become convicted convinced of your truth as we study about your church we ask it all in Jesus name amen this morning I'd like to review and study with you regarding the three main reasons why the Seventh-day Adventist Church exists today I don't know if you've ever given uh, that some thought Why do we exist as a Seventh-day Adventist church? Let me ask you, uh, right as we start out, how many of you were raised or born into a Seventh-day Adventist home? Can I see your hands? Well, a good portion of you. How many came in to the Seventh-day Adventist church later on in life? Let me see your hands. Well, several of you as well. Friends, let me tell you, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a special church, a unique church. But before we start patting ourselves on the back, 
and brag, start bragging about that, let me tell you that uh, don't do that uh, as quick as you can because, friends, do you realize that there are here in North America at least 300, 300 denominational Christian Protestant churches? Now, you'll see on the screen there that I put 250 to 300. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity puts it at 300. I've heard on this campus that it might be 250. So I put it to 250 to 300 different denominations that we find in North America. And the Seventh-day Adventist Church is one of those Protestant mainline Christian denominations. And like I was mentioning, don't, don't start patting yourself on the back and start bragging about it that we are a special and unique church. Because let me tell you, my dear friends, that here in the Loma Linda University Church, there are sinners, starting with Pastor Ernie Castillo, just like there are sinners in all the other denominational churches. Sinners everywhere. And we all need the grace of Jesus Christ. And we're all saved by the blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, we are a unique church. We are a special church. God has given this church a special assignment that he has not given to any other denomination that we find today. And I'd like to review and study with you, as I mentioned this morning, three main reasons why the Seventh-day Adventist Church exists today in 2023. And I want to base my uh, three reasons on three biblical texts. One of them found in the Old Testament, and two of them found in the New Testament. One in the Old, and two in the New. Reason number one why I believe God has put the Seventh-day Adventist Church and why we exist as a Seventh-day Adventist Church today, the first reason is I believe God has put us in the world today to safeguard, to defend, and to protect the truths that He, God, has given to us. The first text I want to base this on is found in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, chapter 8, and verse 14. Daniel, chapter 8, verse 14. And I'd like for you to read it with me, if you have your Bibles or if you see it on the screen. Daniel, chapter 8, verse 14. Altogether, it says, Unto 2,000... 300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. The story tells us that back in the beginnings of the 19th century, there was a great awakening to study the prophecies of Daniel and the prophecies of Revelation. There was a great interest in that. I mean, you read the story, you read the religious history regarding that. Here in this country, William Miller began preaching regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ, and they had based themselves on this text. 
thinking that Jesus Christ would return on October 22, 1844. They had, interp- they had arrived at the exact date, according to the prophecy. Where they had miscalculated and misinterpreted was the event that was supposed to take place on October 22, 1844. But in this country, the story tells us that William Miller was preaching that, that message, Jesus would return October 22, 1844. The story also tells us that out there in South America, Manuel Lacunza, a Jesuit priest, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't only preaching this message regarding the second coming, they were printing pamphlets and distributing those pamphlets everywhere, thinking that Jesus would return October 22, 1844. In fact, the story also tells us that Joseph Wu, another great preacher, was preaching out there in the Middle East, the northern part of Africa, that Jesus would return October 22, 1844. You've probably read about the children preachers in the country of, of Sweden preaching that same message that Jesus would return the 22nd of October, 1844. Well, friends, we know good and well Jesus did not return on October 22, 1844. I like the way Arthur Spaulding in his book the origin and history of Seventh-day Adventists. I like the way he wrote about it in his book, referring to what took place the day after October 22, 1844. He wrote it in his book, as I mentioned, The Origin and History of the Seventh-day Adventists. And he was writing about Hiram Edson. Now, some of you might ask, who was Hiram Edson? Well, Hiram Edson was one of the leaders, great leaders among the Advent believers. They were called the Advent believers because they, they believed in the second advent of Jesus Christ. And this is the way Arthur Spaulding wrote about it in his book. Listen carefully. But midnight passed. There was prayer. Now he's writing, as I mentioned, uh, regarding what took place after the 22nd of October, 1844. But midnight passed. There was prayer, there was apprehension, there were glistening eyes. At last the morning broke, he says. No more could they pretend the 22nd day. That day had passed. Christ had not come. In Hiram Edson's farmhouse there was weeping, as in thousands of other meeting places on that day. They questioned one another. These are the questions they asked. Had the scriptures failed? Was there no reward of saints? Was there to be no judgment day? Was the Bible false? Could it be that there was no God? Not so, brethren, spoke Hiram Edson. There is a God in heaven. He has made himself known to us in blessing, in forgiving, in redeeming, and he will not fail us now. Sometime soon, this mystery will be solved. We shall know what God's purpose is, and this dark secret shall be made as plain as day. And he continues on. After breakfast, Edson said to the one who remained, let us go out to comfort the brethren with this assurance. Perhaps it was a shortcut to their first destination, perhaps because they shunned the road where they might meet mocking enemies. They struck back through the farm, crossing the field where Edson's corn still stood in the shocks. And about midway across the field, about midway across the field, 
Hiram Edson stopped as if a hand had been placed on his shoulder. As he lifted his face to the skies, there flashed upon his understanding the meaning of the sanctuary in heaven. Recalling the arrangement of the Mosaic sanctuary, he saw it as a type of the sanctuary in heaven and realized that as Christ was the minister of the heavenly sanctuary, his ministry would change in due course of time from the holy place to the most holy. And then the author, Arthur Spaulding, wraps it up by saying the following. He wrote on this occasion, I saw distinctly and clearly that instead of our high priest coming out of the most holy of the heavenly sanctuary to come to the earth, he, Jesus Christ, for the very first time, entered on that day the second apartment of that sanctuary and that he had a work to perform in the most holy before coming to this earth. Friends, after that took place, and from that point on, the story tells us that the believers, the Advent believers, began studying and searching carefully the Scriptures. And as they, as they studied the Holy Bible, as they searched the Bible and, and carefully and prayerfully studied God's Holy Word, they found other truths that we have with us today. They found the Sabbath truth in God's Word. They found the sanctuary doctrine in God's Word. They found and studied the, about the law of God in God's Holy Word. They studied and they prayed and they carefully searched the Scriptures and many and all the truths that we have with us today, they found them in God's Holy Word. Oh, my friends, let me tell you this morning, or this afternoon, that the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and listen carefully to what I'm going to say, the Seventh-day Adventist Church was never formed by a schism. You know what a schism is, talking in regard to religious terms. When a group of individuals studying God's Word, when they come across a text that they can't agree on or or they come across a biblical teaching that, that they can, the group cannot agree on. One group goes that way, another goes that direction, and another group goes that other direction. And friends, honestly speaking this morning, that's how we find many denominations today. That's how many denominations came into being. They couldn't agree on a biblical text, or, or they could not agree on a biblical teaching. And they go off in different directions. That's why we have so many denominations today. But my friends, the Seventh-day Adventist Church was never formed by a schism. The Seventh-day Adventist Church was established, was formed, was organized, was founded by men and women on their knees, praying to Almighty God, God, show us what is truth. That's how the Seventh-day Adventist Church was formed. And friends, I like what Elvin White wrote some years ago, and it's found in Volume 7 of the Testimonies, page 138. Listen carefully, and you'll see it on the screen. Listen to what Ellen White wrote years ago. She said, Seventh-day Adventists have been chosen by God. Can you see that, friends? We have been chosen by God. 
Why did God choose us from all the other denominations? Why did he choose us? Well, she goes on to say, Seventh-day Adventists have been chosen by God as a peculiar people, separate from the world. The greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals. Can you imagine? From the time of Adam and Eve to the year 2023, the Seventh-day Adventist church has been entrusted with a wealth of truth that no other denomination has. Like I said, friends, we have a responsibility. We have a tremendous responsibility. She says, the greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals, the most solemn and fearful warnings ever sent by God to men have been committed to them, to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Why do we exist? Reason number one is, I believe we exist, friends, because God wants us to safeguard to defend and to protect the truth that he has given to us. You might ask, well, how about our name, Pastor? Why do we call ourselves the Seventh-day Adventists? Well, let me tell you very quickly. You know, during those days, the Advent believers did not have any name. Uh, they were called, as I mentioned, the Advent believers because they believed in the second advent of Jesus Christ. And they continued to study and search prayerfully and carefully God's holy word. But there was a meeting that took place. They wanted to, they wanted to get together to determine what are we going to call ourselves. There was a, uh, a meeting that took place in Battle Creek, Michigan in the fall of 1860. In the fall of 1860, there was a group of Advent believers who gathered together there in, in Battle Creek, Michigan. It was a business session. And one thing on the agenda was to determine what are we going to call ourselves. Well, the story tells us that in the meeting, some, uh, some suggested, well, why don't we call ourselves a church of God? After all, we believe in God. Why don't we call ourselves a church of God? But I'm happy and praise God this morning that that name did not hold, did not stick. Others suggested, well, let's call ourselves a church of the remnant. Because after all, we are a remnant who survived the great disappointment of October 22. Why don't we call ourselves a church of the remnant? Can you imagine if today we, we were known as a Loma Linda University Church of the Remnant? People would ask, the remnant of what? What are we a remnant of? Others suggested, well, let's call ourselves the Church of the Brethren. The Church of the Brethren? Can you imagine today if we were known as the Loma Linda University Church of the Brethren? What about the poor sisters? Where would they fit in? I'm glad and I praise God that that name didn't stick. Finally, the name Seventh-day Adventist was adopted. And I praise God for that. When that name was adopted, I want you to read, or, or read with me on the screen and, and listen carefully to what Alan White wrote regarding the name Seventh-day Adventist. It's found in volume one of the testimonies, page 224. She said the name Seventh-day Adventist carries the true features of our faith in, in front 
and will, and she mentions three important things. Number one, and will convict the inquiring mind. Like an arrow from the Lord's quiver, it will, number two, she says, it will wound the transgressors of God's law. And number three, she says, it will lead to repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my brothers and sisters, please, you never be embarrassed. You never be bashful to let others know that you are a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Can I hear an amen? amen. But if you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you live like a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And my brothers and sisters, I remember in all my travels, on the plane, when I was at the Pacific Union in the North American Division, we traveled an awful lot. But many, many times, those seated next to me would ask me, sir, what do you do? What, where do you work at? I told them, I'm a pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And friends, like Ellen White wrote, she says, when we mention the name Seventh-day Adventist, it's going to bring conviction to the individual. And it's going to wound the transgressors of God's law. And it will also lead to repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. So friends, I praise God this morning or this afternoon. I praise God. The name Seventh-day Adventist is a special name. But as I mentioned, please, my appeal to you is you be, you demonstrate, and you behave like a true Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Number two, the second reason why I believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church exists today is because I believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been commissioned, it has been assigned to preach the everlasting gospel. The text I'd like to read is found over here in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Would you read that with me? should appear on the screen here. But Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. Everyone read it together with me here. Here we go. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having what? The everlasting gospel, the Bible says, and to preach unto them, dwell on the earth to every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every people. First of all, let's clarify, what is the everlasting gospel? What is the everlasting gospel, friends? Let me give it to you in summary. The essence of the everlasting gospel is Jesus Christ left his throne on high, came to this earth, was born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up, lived in a, a, a life as an example for you and for me. He was crucified on a cross with thorns, a crown of thorns on his head, nails in his hands, nails in his feet. He was buried in a tomb, arose the third day, ascended to heaven, and he's coming back very soon for you and for me. In essence, the way I understand it, that's the everlasting gospel. And friends, listen carefully to what I'm going to say now. 
There are those who make the Adventist message only about beasts. Let me tell you, dear ones, as I understand it, the Seventh-day Adventist message is more than just beasts. It's about a lamb, a lamb which takes away the sin of the world. Now, those beasts in Revelation 13, they're never going to take away the sin of the world. That dragon in Revelation 12, that old serpent, as Pastor Rennie would call him, the mudslinger, he's never going to take away the sins of the world. So as Pastor Randy would say, follow the Lamb. Follow the Lamb. The Lamb which taketh away the sin of the world. And I like the way Ellen White puts it here in the book Evangelism, page 195. She wrote, and let me paraphrase this quotation for you here this morning. She says, preach about the prophecies of Daniel. But don't forget to preach about Jesus. Preach the prophecies of Revelation, but don't forget to preach about Jesus. So friends, the Adventist message is more than just beasts. It's about a lamb, the lamb which taketh away the sin of the world. And then the last part of verse 6, go back to Revelation chapter 14, the last part of, of verse 6. This first angel that was preaching the everlasting gospel, was also, was, was also going to preach uh, to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It is amazing, friends. It is amazing to see how the Seventh-day Adventist church and, and message has gone around the world to every nation, every kindred, every tongue, and every people. It's amazing, friends, what God has done through this church. Do you realize that every Sabbath, every Sabbath, there's about, this, this Adventist message is preached in about 535 different languages. Every day, there's about close to 4,000 individuals who unite themselves with the Seventh-day Adventist church. You saw, you saw today individuals who were uniting themselves, making a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and uniting themselves through baptism to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Every 24 hours, 3,720 precious souls around the world, from every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every people, are making commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism. Praise God for that. Now, you just do simple mathematics. In a week, that's a little, a little over 26,000 individuals. In a month, that's over 100,000 individuals uniting themselves with God's remnant church. Praise God for that. And also, friends, <clears throat> let me tell you, let me tell you that in 235 countries that are registered with the United Nations, the Seventh-day Adventist church has penetrated with its message about 212 of those countries. I've already mentioned to you that every Sabbath, about 535 uh, different languages are spoken. The Adventist message is spoken in 535 different languages. Do you realize that we have more than 9,000, about 9,500 schools, almost 9,500 schools around the, around the world, teaching our young people about Jesus, 
We have about 229 hospitals, Loma Linda University Medical Center being one of our largest. We have about 15 publishing houses, printing materials so others can know about Jesus. Around the world, 57 different publishing houses. And then our ADRA ministry, friends, our ADRA ministry, a great ministry, is right now in 130 countries with about 60,000 employees, 5,000 of those employees in the country of Brazil. And praise God, we have with us Pastor Ralph Watts, the former president of our ADRA ministry. And let me tell you, friends, not because they're here this morning, but Pastor Ralph Watts and his dear wife, Pat, they have poured heart and soul into the ADRA ministry. Praise God for that. And by the way, on your way out today after the service, uh, there is a free book and an envelope that we'd like for you to take. It's a gift from our ADRA ministry from the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. But praise God, friends, the message of this first angel says that this everlasting gospel was going to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And that's what's taking place today in the year 2023. Now let me bring out another point here of the last part of verse 6, where Scripture says that the angel was going to take this message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Friends, it is amazing what is taking place today. I was talking to Gabriela Phillips. I don't know how many of you know her. Gabriela Phillips is the director of a people group, a language group, that is found not only in, in North America, but it, uh, these language groups are found around the world. She was telling me that an individual from, a, uh, from one of these people groups, one of these language groups, had a dream. And listen carefully, in his dream, And he told this experience to Gabriela Phillips, the director of this uh, special ministry group that we find in North America, and we find it around the world. But this individual told Gabriela Phillips that in a dream, he saw Jesus on the cross with a crown of thorns on his head, nails in his feet, nails in his hand, blood trickling down his face. This individual saw Jesus on the cross And this individual heard Jesus tell him, listen, I've done this for you. Follow me. Friends, God is working in a marvelous way. Gabriela Phillips also tells me that many of this, many individuals of this this people group, of this language group, they're having dreams. And I asked Gabriela, well, what are they seeing in the dreams? She says, they tell me, Pastor, that they're seeing in the dreams different portions of the book of Revelation to look for a church that is interpreting and having these revelations, these, uh, these messages of the book of Revelation. Find a church that will help you understand the messages of the book of Revelation. Friends, God is working in a marvelous way. Let us jump down to Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. Revelation chapter 14, verse 7. This angel continues with the message, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And then what does it say? And worship, worship him 
Dear ones, this is what the great controversy is all about. Who are we going to worship? Are we going to worship God, the true God who made heaven and earth? Or are we going to worship that mudslinger like Pastor Randy would say? Who are we going to worship? That's why we have our publishing houses, to publish material so others can read the material about this, this God who made heaven and earth, the true God. This is why we have our schools around the world, the 9,000 plus schools around the world, to teach our young people and our children who is the true God. This is why we have evangelistic meetings in different places around the world trying to teach individuals who is the true God. This is why we have our media ministries like Loma Linda Broadcasting uh, Network and the Hope Channel and the Esperanza TV Channel. This is why we have our, our, our radio programs, The Voice of Prophecy, La, La Voz de la Esperanza radio program. We have all this, friends, to teach others that there is a true God that we need to worship. That's why we have these ministries. The Bible says, the angel has told him and tells us, worship him, worship the true God. This is why the Seventh-day Adventist Church exists today, to preach the everlasting gospel. Number three, <clears throat> the final point of why Seventh-day Adventist Church exists is because we are more than a church. The text is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'd like for you to read that with me very quickly. Altogether it says, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Now, friends, I believe the third reason that God has put the Seventh-day Adventist church in the world today is because he wants us to be more than a church. Scripture says that we're a chosen generation, but we're more than that. The Bible says we're a royal priesthood. Praise God for that. We belong to the royalty of Almighty God, but we're more than that. Scripture says that we're a holy nation, but we're much more than that. We've been set apart for a special use, but we're more than that, friends. Scripture says that we're a, we are a peculiar people. Not weird, but a peculiar people. The things we eat are different. The places we go to are different. The way we dress are different. The way we behave is different. We are a peculiar people. But we're much more than that. Thanks for asking. What are we? Well, friends, let me tell you. We are a movement. And a prophetic movement at that. We are a movement. Not understanding exactly what a movement is is or was, I went to the dictionary. Webster's Dictionary tells us that a movement is a group of individuals, a group of individuals who agitate. Now, looking at that in a religious sense, a, a, 
a movement is a group of individuals who agitate in a religious sphere, a religious way. And I understood them. I understood. What Ellen White says that we are more than a church, we're a movement. We ought to be agitating. We ought to be agitating. And friends, I notice around this church that there's spiritual agitation going on. I wish you could join and connect yourself every morning at 7 o'clock with the prayer ministry. I listen to those prayers. I hear those testimonies. And I know there's spiritual agitation going on there. I wish you could team up with the literature ministry group and see the ag spiritual agitation going on there. Very quickly, can I tell you, there's an Adventist church not too far from here, small Adventist church. They were renting their church to a non-Adventist group. The pastor of that non-Adventist group retired, and uh, <clears throat> he left the congregation. The non-Adventist congregation didn't know what to do. They stayed there in the Adventist church. The literature ministry group gave this small Adventist church some literature, some Bible lessons. The non-Adventist individuals who stayed in the Adventist church, they began studying those. The pastor began studying those lessons with the, those non-Adventist groups who stayed in the Adventist church. Praise God, friends, about eight baptisms have already resulted from that. Friends, there's spiritual agitation going on there. I saw this today, this afternoon. I saw Pastor Chris there in the baptismal tank, leading his young, his, his young, uh, uh, young people to make decisions for Jesus Christ. I see there's spiritual agitation going on there. Friends, that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be more than a church. He wants us to be a movement to have some spiritual agitation going on. My appeal to you this morning is, or this afternoon is, my appeal is, number one, if you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, please do everything possible to safeguard, to protect, to defend the truths that God has given to us. If you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, my appeal to you this morning or this afternoon is you continue to preach the everlasting gospel. You teach the everlasting gospel. And above everything else, you live the everlasting gospel. My appeal to you is, as I wrap it up, if you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, you understand that we're more than a church. We are a movement causing or they, we ought to be causing spiritual agitations. Because in the final analysis, friends, it all boils down to Jesus is the center of it all. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.